0: You think of all of the uncertainties around inflation, the economic cycle, the impact of, of on the cost structure, what's happening with your workforce, and so on. The biggest issue here that organizations are looking to do is how to develop executives who can lead more effectively in these changing business environment. With all these changes that have happened over the last three or four years, I think it's caught a number of executives off guard, and I think HR and executive leaders are realizing this is a potential skill. Gap.
1: Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Amanda Newfield, your host for today's Business Acceleration Podcast. And I'm joined by my colleague, Franco Germonti, the North American Practice Leader for Executive HR Advisory at the Hackett Group. Welcome, Franco.
0: Hi, Amanda. Thanks for having me on the call.
2: Fantastic. Well, today we're we're going to be chatting about Hackett's 2023 HR Key Issues Study. It's an annual study that dives into some of the top-of-mind issues and strategies for today's HR leaders. Now, Franco, I know we were chatting the other day. What are some of the disruptions HR is going to be faced with in 2023?
0: Yeah, well, no surprise there, Amanda. In our key issues research that we did this fall, the three top issues that came to the list here was the recession, the economic downturn and or recession. And I guess the best way to characterize that would be, is it to be a recession or not to be a recession? I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there around where are we going with the economic cycle? Are we going to end up having a soft landing? That is, are the interest rate increases in interest rates by a lot of the Fed organizations around the world, federal bank organizations, will they in fact, bring us to a soft landing and therefore a quick recovery after? Or will it be a hard landing and therefore a very specific and longer economic downturn? So that uncertainty around where are we in the business cycle, I think, is uh, is creating a challenge. Obviously, everybody has their eyes to the fact that we could go into a downturn and what changes can be made. And I think what's also confusing is that you see a lot of, um, you know, news items been particular in certain segments of the economy, right? You And it's confusing. Like in the tech sector, we see a lot of changes and, you know, layoffs and large mass layoffs in certain organizations that take up a lot of the the time in the news uh, media. But then you have other parts where things are growing extremely well, like especially in the transportation sectors and the oil and gas sectors and some parts of manufacturing as well where you're seeing definitely an uptick in activity because of uh, changes in prices. So it's creating certainly a bit of uncertainty for other folks. The other item, I think, which is number two on the list is around talent shortages. And here, what we're hearing from clients is that although we are seeing a softening in the marketplace, we're not seeing that transpire directly to the talent space I think we're still, a lot of organizations feel like they're playing catch up when it comes to talent, especially inquiring new talent, they're f- still feeling roles that been. Left vacant for many months, and they're, you know, finally either starting to find candidates or at least getting more resumes in the door to consider for candidates. And that's been, been helpful. And the reason why I think it's a top of mind issue is that they're not seeing as much relief as what we're seeing maybe on the economic side. And so because they're playing catch up, they are concerned that if the market turns back on again, That is, the economic cycle turns back up again. We're going to see sort of like a, you know, a whipsaw effect or whiplash effect from, you know, the talent markets getting burning hot again. And therefore, they'll be caught, you know, they'll be behind. And lastly, I think the other item is just inflation itself, right? Inflation is a great indicator because if inflations are high, You're going to see an increase in interest rates, too, which, in other words, slow down the economy, slow down the economic cycle, therefore slowing down revenue and growth opportunities for companies. So it's a really good indicator that everyone seems to be paying attention to. And I think in this area, it has a couple of things. It acts as a leading indicator. And right now it's been stubbornly consistent. In other words, it doesn't seem to be increasing like it was back in The springtime, but it doesn't seem to be coming down anytime soon. So it is a concern for folks. So we're not sure which direction it's actually going to go. There's a lot of mixed messages in that area. The other parts about inflation is that it actually also impacts, you know, things like salary and cost of goods sold and so forth. So it is, you know, potentially has the impact of making your labor costs go up. Your cost of goods sold, uh, cost to produce, you know all the materials needed for production and manufacturing and/or services, and therefore your cost to you know provide a service or product to your customers increases, which then therefore could also potentially exacerbate you know the downturn, potential downturn, I should say, in the economic cycle. So they are again really concerned about uh, inflation in those uh, two particular areas.
2: I see. Yeah. These sound like, you know, really big complexities. What do you think is HR's top issue for 2023, given these complexities?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple. One, I think what we're hearing from our clients and then also what's what we're seeing in the study itself, right? So in particular, when you think about the talent markets, right, HR, again, got caught by surprise, was surprised, I guess, by what happened in the talent markets. If you go back to, Maybe, you know, the early parts of 2019, the economy was heating up really, really hot. And most organizations were struggling to keep up with retaining employees or acquiring new employees, their talent acquisition processes. Then we had COVID and all of a sudden there are massive layoffs or pause in work opportunities and so on. And people were getting rid of their talent recruiters, they were getting rid of people who were training and so on, just to cut back in the HR function. And lo and behold, when the economy turned back on again, within six months, everybody was struggling to find those people again, and therefore they were caught off guard again. So I think HR has really learned their lesson that they have to be better prepared. And the best way to do that is one, have the most robust talent management capabilities, as well as talent acquisition capabilities right? So retaining employees, training employees, creating development opportunities, but also acquiring, you know, good talent. And the other piece of it is, is just better at uh, planning, you know, staying ahead and understanding where your workforce trends are going. So that's, you know, workforce planning capabilities. That's what we're hearing a lot from our clients. In the study itself, though, I will say, is that it is affecting things like developing leaders, basically, you know, equipping leaders to manage in complex challenges. So if you think of all of the uncertainties that I just discussed around inflation, the economic cycle, you know, the impact of, of, on the cost structure, what's happening, you know, with your workforce and so on. The biggest issue here that organizations are looking to do is how to develop, you know, executives who can lead more effectively in these changing business environment with all these changes that have happened over the last three or four years. I think it's caught a number of executives off guard. And I think HR and executive leaders are realizing this is a potential skill gap. So it made it to number one on the list. Whereas in previous years, actually for two years in a row, we had act HR acting as a strategic advisor to the business was number one last year and the year before. And that particular issue has dropped from number one to number three now.
2: Any kind of insights or thoughts on why you think there's that dramatic of a shift? Because if I look back at you know even last year, developing executives or developing leaders to lead was pretty far down on the list. I think it was like number seven. It wasn't even on the list at all in 2021. What do you think is really driving that up um, from a critical perspective?
0: Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint on any one particular issue. I mean, anecdotally, like I'm hearing of, you know, some for our clients, they're going through some changes at the top of the house in terms of executives. So that could be related to poor performance. That could be related to, hey, it's time to retire Had enough years in, I want to leave and make room for somebody else. I'm not sure exactly what all the rationale or the reasons, but we are seeing some turnover in those ranks. And so if we are, my suspicion is, The street and most of these organizations are promising, you know, to deliver high growth and high results, right? And those promises were made back in 2021, later, uh, you know, the back half of 2021, early parts of 2022. And you have to deliver on those results. And I think some leaders aren't, aren't up to the task of delivering those results. And automatically, I think, you know, boards and others probably feel that maybe there's a change. Maybe, you know, why did they anticipate some of these issues and so forth? So there could be a skill set there. Could also be, you know, from a succession planning perspective, right? They're not seeing those particular skills, the ability to deal in uncertain times, those kinds of things make effective decisions and so on quickly and good decisions, Obviously, you should say. They're not seeing that within the succession pipeline. So it it's you know bubbling up to the surface as a as a top of mind issues, and I I know a number of our clients have asked about information around how they could change their leadership development programs, you know, what are the scope, what are the companies considering from a scope perspective for leadership development programs or succession planning programs in particular, how far down in the organization should we be looking at succession planning? Those are the kinds of questions we're hearing, so that's leading me to believe that they have some delts in the some of the skills in this particular area.
2: That's all interesting, thanks for sharing. Shifting gears a little bit. I know one of the other key elements uh, that was revealed in the key issues is- a continuing issue. It's around HR workload. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about um, HR workload? How do you see HR managing the changes um, it's seen consistently for the last couple of years around workload volume?
0: Yeah, it's a good question, Amanda. We've been asking this question for years now, trying to get a sense of, you know, what is the percentage change? And these are estimates, right, that people are sharing with us, and we're averaging them out across all the responses. But what's the average you know, percentage change in workload? And obviously, most years, I would say probably in all the years we've done this study, that percentage has always been, there's been an increase. So, and a lot of that has to do with either changing in regulations, changing in focus for the HR area, like either having to transform their own operations, you know, the vision and purpose for the HR function within the organization, those kinds of things. So pressures coming from other leaders within the organization, as well as obviously the talent markets and the impact that that has on the HR function itself, whether it's retaining or recruiting new employees. So that percentage workload really gives us an idea of how we see, you know, our things from year to year, how is that workload changing? What's interesting is the hypothesis that we developed is that the HR function always struggled to sort of keep up with that workload. So in other words, if the workload was to go up 10%, you know, did we see some corresponding increase in the number of FTEs? So we measured that as well as the change in their operating budget. And also more recently in the last two years, we've also started to measure the change in HR technology spend. So when we look to this year's results, the workload went up 10.5%. And there's only a 0.3% increase in HR staff and a 0.4% increase in the HR operating budget. So again, huge discrepancy in the number of headcount that are added and operating budget. And again, there's always going to be some discrepancy there because you're not going to just always throw bodies at the problem or increase the budget. You're forcing yourself to find some efficiencies. So we expect that. But I guess we didn't expect the gap to be that egregious, you know, from a 10.5% to 03 or 0.4% respectively between the FTEs, changes in FTEs and operating budget. So that's one area. And the other piece is around technology spend. The technology spend this year was only 1.8%, whereas last year it was 9.1%. So there was a recognition across HR organizations that HR has failed to keep up in its investments in technology. And That showed, right? A lot of organizations were caught off guard with, you know, inefficient talent acquisition processes, which are enabled by technology. And the same thing on the talent management side around the development and retention of employees. So all those processes and programs and stuff have to be managed or enabled through technology. And obviously, the organization wasn't keeping up. And another area, too, is just, you know, these technologies produce data and insights about your workforce. And I think, you know, that was also a struggle for groups. So, again, going back to our hypothesis here, the reason why we have this kind of question in our study is that we've always assumed that HR struggled to make the case for improving investments or making investments in headcount, operating budget, and now technology as the workloads change. And this question really shows that there's always been There is this gap. And if this gap continues and it continues, you know, if the gap is significantly large, you know, for a number of years, you're always going to see in some of these HR organizations, they're going to be behind. Right. They're going to fall behind in the technology, fall behind in the efficiencies of their model and so on. And therefore, you know, when a crisis hits like a talent management crunch, they're going to struggle to keep up.
2: Yeah, it sounds like HR is really overcommitted, overloaded
0: and underfunded. Or, you know, they're also not making a case for a really good case for why they need to make these type of investments, whether it's headcount, because, hey, there's you're know, not much more they can do. The technology isn't ready yet, or, you know, there are circumstances that dictate that they need more headcount, or it could be changes in, op, you know, operating budget, which can give you more money to spend with, you know, external vendors and external support, as well as, you know, hiring higher, higher caliber talent. I'm sure. And then on the technology spend as well, the investments in technology. So they are, they are struggling. And I, and I would have to say just you know, from a personal perspective, that's how I got my start in the HR. I was asked, you know, I was in the finance function and I was asked, uh, you know, if I wanted to move over to the HR function to help them with things like their operating budgets, their capital budgeting as well. It was just something that they struggled with at that time. And that's something that I uh, was able to dig my teeth into and, and work out for my particular organization early in my career. So it's not foreign to me. I've seen it in my own career. So I'm assuming that this is happening in other organizations as well.
2: Yeah. And I would even add that I know a lot of HR organizations have started to make that transformation into cloud-based technology. I mean, those digital technologies deliver a lot of capabilities, but if the organization is not ready to kind of adopt some of those best practice standards or have not grown along with the technology. They're starting to struggle with really achieving the value that they hope to achieve from the investment, and that it makes an impact on on HR being able to ask for more investments, and um, really drives home the importance for HR to find ways to get more value from the capabilities they have, while also looking at the investments they can make to even further extend their capabilities.
0: And you know, and if you think about it too, this. Continuous underfunding or underinvesting by the HR function in their own capabilities. It it has like a lot of downstream effects, right? You see this, you know, where. Things like your HR transformation is going to be delayed, right? We're not going to implement this new technology, this new ETS system or this new XLP system for, you know, experiential learning and so on. So they're going to delay those decisions. You know, when you make those calls, right, there, obviously there's some short term benefit, which you, you get the budgetary savings. But the long term impact is, you know, those tools in most cases for some companies, depending on the size, could take anywhere from six months to 24 months to implement. And so you're just hurting your capability six months or 24 months down the road, which by the way, in 24 months, we're definitely not going to be in the same part of the economic cycle as we are today. So by you delaying these decisions, you're just hurting yourself, you know, somewhere up to 24 months, even further into the future, you're hurting your HR uh, capabilities, which then, you know, speaks to your ability to transform operations. And I think other aspects too, like, when you think about when we look at or or hr organizations it's not just you know the the impact of technology. There are other aspects of it, right? The decisions you make around your budgets, your investment in your personnel and your people, and your technology impacts things like, you know, your ability to produce data and analytics and insights, right? How you govern the HR organization, right? Is it do you have an effective and efficient operating model? Are you leveraging vendors and outsourcing some aspects of work that you're not really good at, efficient or effective, or are you retaining those in house, right? And have have you thought about how you're doing that work? Are you centralizing the right amount of activities to gain some efficiency and improve effectiveness and consistency? Or you know, how, are you leaving the right activities you know, in other parts of the organization, like the HR Business Partner Group, to make sure they're effective as well? So it affects a lot of parts of your HR operating model, from how your processes are designed, your technologies the the data you're leveraging, the governance, the skill sets of your business, you know, your HR professionals and so on, and obviously your service delivery. Those aspects of your service delivery model, these investments you make from a budget perspective and technology perspective and people perspective impact that whole operation. And so something's going to give, right? Something's going to get out of balance. And that's what we always see in these HR functions as we work with them.
2: So it sounds like current HR leaders are really facing a lot of highly complex, well-integrated across multiple different capability pillars within HR problems. What do you recommend leaders consider as they think about their next steps, as they're looking at all of this volume of work and improvement opportunity?
0: I think there's two steps. I mean, we have some standard things that we typically recommend in our in our key issues research, and you know things like you know improve leadership acumen, leverage more digital technologies, those kinds of things. Some standard stuff. I want to take a little bit of a different tact here. I think one thing which I always tell my clients that I'm working with when this when these studies come out and they'll be coming out publicly really soon is that. You know, I would first take a look at the key issues research and see how it aligns to the issues and capability gaps that you've uncovered as part of your strategic planning process. You know, most companies are on a calendar uh, year end, so they're going to be going into their next fiscal plan, you know, calendar year, which is 2023. A lot of their strategic planning and budgeting processes have all started back in the mid-summer or late-summer timeframes, and they've been ironing those out over time. But, you know, generally speaking, there were these, you know, as part of that process, you would have identified some capabilities gaps. What I would do is look at those capability gaps that you identified and compare that to what's in the key issue study and just see, you know, reconcile the two and see if there are stuff or gaps that you're missing. Like, for example, the number one issue around leadership development. Do you have something in your strategy that's taken account, account for that? Again, assuming you have a gap in that capability. So if you have a gap in leadership development, that may be something you might want to address in your plans for next year and figure out how you can either do it as internally or get some funding to support that particular initiative. So that's one thing. Do some do a reconciliation with our key issues. The other is there's always more things to fix than there is available, you know, capacity within the HR organization or even uh, capability skill sets within HR to fix some of these problems or even dollars to spend to actually resources that is to spend on these key issues. So I think the one thing I would certainly advise clients is. You know, you have a lot of these gaps. You're going to have some initiatives to close those gaps. What I would do is always go through an exercise of prioritization, some sort of, you know, basically it's really simple. It's, you know, you go up on the whiteboard, you take your various initiatives that are aligned to certain gaps and you could plot them on a two-by-two. Two. And the two-by-two two would always look something like, you know, the complexity and cost to implement this particular initiative, right, between low and high. And the other would be the impact or value to the organization that is low and high. And you end up with a two-by-two two quadrant, right? And if you look at the dimensions of that, that quadrant will tell you things like, you know, the upper top left-hand corner may be your quick wins, right, and those so So you're going through this prioritization exercise, where you can reshuffle the deck around these initiatives. And I would think about doing that from time to time. Look at them, you know, at almost once a quarter just to take a look to see, are you heading on the right track? You may want to defer some spending on a particular initiative and redeploy those resources somewhere else as a result of your prioritization exercise. So those are kind of like, I would say, two key approaches that I would use in terms of leveraging our research here and and applying that to your overall plan.
2: Yeah, the other thing that I would say is, you know, getting comfortable with ever moving and evolving kind of change in what you're you're looking at from a prioritization perspective. So being, you know, when you think about prioritization, being able to take it within the context of what the highest needs are and being flexible about that prioritization throughout the year and being comfortable with incrementally moving forward on initiatives versus feeling like you have to wait until everything is completely perfect and tied into a perfect present before delivering it to to people. Because that incremental change actually improves the overall functionality over time versus kind of withholding everything until it's absolutely done, because it may not ever be absolutely done.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's a perfect definition for agile, right? How to have that agile mindset, be flexible, flexible, adaptable, change, move along. It's funny, when I was early in my career, this is before I just joined the HR function and we had a new VP of HR, CHRO at the time. And the function before I got there, they were spending, and not that I had anything to do with changing this, but they had spent over two years looking at new HR technologies and finally, this new VP of hrs he understood what they were doing. He basically told him, he said, listen, I'm not looking for the 100% perfect system because guess what? That system's going to be outdated anyways. Let's just go with the 80% solution and go from there. And that's what they ended up doing, right? They made the decision right away and they moved forward. I think with a lot of these technologies, there is a you know, paralysis through analysis, a, a phase of that people go through. And I think to be more agile, more nimble, you have to make these decisions faster. And again, depending on you know, with this cloud-based computing, I think Amanda, you could probably attest to this. It gives you more opportunities to have, you basically have less of an investment need, right? There is a, some investment in this uptick of setting up the new technology, but the ongoing cost, like you're, you're paying a monthly cost to get access to this technology. And it's no longer required where you're spending millions and millions of dollars to buy this technology. You can buy the licensing to it, which is cheaper. It's almost like leasing it, I guess. And so why are you looking for that perfect technology? Why not, you know, go with this technology, learn from it, especially if it's something new anyways, and, uh, you know, go for that 80% solution. Don't wait for that perfect technology because I think the needs are always changing and the technology is always changing and you'll never find that perfect fit because of those two dimensions.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think you can say the same thing for even some of the people and process side that goes along with that technology from an HR perspective. Well, it looks like we're out of time today. Thank you, Franco, so much for joining me and sharing your insights today.
0: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate this topic. I'm passionate about it and always great to jump on these podcasts and uh, have a great conversation with you, Amanda.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much to our listeners. Don't forget to go to our website at Com. For more information about today's Business Acceleration podcast and upcoming podcasts in the series, our HR Key Issues study is available for download. So also check that out. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today and look forward to seeing you on a future episode. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackergroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode or send us an email at podcast at thehackettgroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehacketgroup.com.